maximize your sense of aliveness, gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'm just uh, it's so beautiful to see you again, even if it's just through video and yeah, hearing your voice. So thank you so much for being here and welcome. Thank you, love. It's my pleasure. It's my honor. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So like I said already in the intro that I met you two years ago uh, in Bali and that you were a huge part of my transformation and a huge part of my growth and where I am today. And that's why I'm so excited for this interview because um, two years ago I did a fasting retreat with you and I didn't eat any solid food for one week and it was the scariest time ever because of these food addictions that I had for a really long time and I felt like it was as if yeah I lifted a veil in that week and um, I really would like to know how how did you come about doing this work the work of fasting helping people you know, form a better relationship with food or, yeah, getting back to their, their true essence with, in terms of fasting. So it would be so nice if you could share your story with us. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, any story is just a story, right? <laughs> Nonetheless, my path that I walked on um, was one first, first and foremost of spiritual development before it was ever uh, primarily fasting. When I took the job in Bali, um, I became like manager and director of like a detox department. And this, this word detox was labeled across my head. And for the first time in my own personal life, I realized um, the superficial commercial approach to cleansing. Whereas before, for me, it had been either historical from natural hygiene, my teachers a hundred years ago, who were truly reversing disease and making a tremendous impact upon the world by hosting people uh, for water fasting. And then I was in the yoga scene, teaching yoga teacher trainings uh, and doing the work of consciousness. And so I had routinely held a space of... Uh, transformation for three weeks during a yoga teacher training that then when I came into leading regular fasting retreats uh, when you came in at my tail end of, of living in Bali I had merged the two I had merged this transformative consciousness experience with fasting and used fasting as a vehicle to accelerate the process and so when you look at the world today of naturopaths or healing specialists or health coaches or whatever it might be or even people who work in fasting it's 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 either very scientific and very clinical um, or focused on weight loss or detox or all of these things that are in one way or another mindless whereas the true work that I do is is to deepen like it, it's interesting that you said that your greatest experience of it was uncovering the godhead within and that is the ultimate of any kind of spiritual transformative program and so um, fasting itself is the birthright experience it's the process whereby we learn so much about ourselves and deepen into a place of self-inquiry and then the outcome or the symptoms of that being yeah sure cleansing sure detoxification sure weight loss sure breaking of food addictions and habits and all these other things those are symptoms Right of the greater acknowledgement of connecting to something that we are deeper inside. And so um, in that, when I became a colon hydrotherapist at the ripe old age of like 21, I, um, I immediately had started working really as a naturopath with people and hosting that holistic transformative experience. And I was doing mostly one-on-one -on -one fasting guiding someone through uh, the, the colon hydrotherapy experience. And I myself started experimenting with fasting back even in high school uh, when I was getting more and more into health. And so it was a big learning process for me because at that time there was no one <laughs> 15 years ago who, who was, you know, 
cleansing and this and that, there were waves of echoes from uh, like Harvey Diamond, or is it Jared Diamond? No, it's Harvey Diamond, Fit for Life. And his wife uh, in the 80s, they had a big book that was like a neo-natural hygiene published. And um, I know that my father read that in the 80s and he, he abided by it. I don't think my parents raised me uh, with any specific awareness of this other than like soft drinks weren't allowed in the home. Um, when it was Halloween and there was a bunch of candy, my mom would take it all and then dose it out to us like day by day. We weren't allowed to eat it all like all the other kids. Uh, there was never junk food in my house. I would have to go to other people's houses if I wanted to indulge. And so there was a, a health ethos. And I know that even my grandmother was, um, my mom used to say she was ahead of her time. She was taking vitamins in the 1950s before it was cool. Not that I'm an advocate of, of vitamins, but she was she was intuitive in that sense of, of like something more is needed or, um, yeah, that, that health is a priority. And so I guess it's, it's in one way or another always been prioritized in my family, but never as clearly as the generation that is my brother and myself, <laughs> where, yeah, yeah. where our whole life, uh, is truly about, as I have my campaign slogan, living for vitality. It's all about wrapping life around feeling alive every day feeling the best we can and um so the work i do is it's twofold it's it's allowing people to realize how good they can feel because most people aren't able to tap into that place or don't realize how good they can feel they think that feeling good is where they are most of their life and then you come into the fasting retreat and suddenly things are clearer you feel like you did when you were six years old right it's that that great levity in the physicality which allows for levity in in the spiritual body or in the processing or in the mind or however you want to call it it's it's literally a reconceiving or a reperceptualization of of life and the body and everything in it yeah, amazing. I want to quickly go back to your to your school times because I find that also just be a beautiful picture. Like little Andy with fifteen, you know, experimenting with fasting from Ohio. You know, I I can. Yeah. I mean, what what was it like also in school with the other pupils? I mean, people must have thought you know it wasn't the normal thing to do. Um, to, to like be into health and fasting 15 years ago, like you said. So how did you, how did you deal with that? How did you have the courage to also just, yeah, be like push that through anyway, you know? Yeah, I think part of it when I was that young, I didn't really know what I was doing. It was just like more experimental one day, two days. Like it wasn't long-term fasting. It wasn't at all like it is what it is now. So it wouldn't have made so many waves. But I remember, I remember even like way back in, in like third grade or something, being 10 years old and um, looking at the food pyramid, you know, this great American food pyramid that, that we grew up with here in the United States where there were, I was like two starches and one vegetable and one, and I would put it all in the bag and make sure that it abided by that because that was the only reference I had at that point. And then as I became more rebellious, really 15, 16, 17, uh, I realized that there were other ways other than what I'd been told. I kind of stepped away from the dogma. Um, and I remember as well, like having made salads for myself for lunch and everyone else would be eating the pizza and the tater tots served in, in the lunch cafeteria or something and I would be having a salad. And so I was already different um, and just who I was and, and the kind of kid I was in high school <laughs> already made me noticed and different so um one more thing wasn't you know it wasn't a stress it wasn't like oh she's the health freak um it wasn't like that yeah. at all and I never intended a career in health ever so um it was something that had developed on its own and what what career did you intend back then I mean interestingly I did in seventh grade we have a huge project um that we have to do and I did it on genetics so it's it's a bit of a funny full circle now that I'm an epigeneticist working above genetics um but there was a time I wanted to be a geneticist um and then by the time I graduated high school um it was quite clear that I wanted to become a foreign service agent uh on the path to like ambassadorship um because I realized so young that I was an expatriate and um and I became a political economist, um, really looking at the 
reformation of society, which is where I'm coming back to now, 10 years later, after this 10-year career and stint in health and yoga, uh, as I'm distancing myself from it and the intensity that I was in it, um, I'm coming back to really the revolution and then the reformation of humanity and holding the space for consciousness in that. Beautiful. And what happened after you finished uh, high school? So did you go to university straight away or did you move away? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I graduated high school early. Um, in the United States, you have to stay all the way through. But my last two years of high school, I was taking university classes on even on the university campus. Um, and so by the time college came around, um, I had gone on the most extensive college search known to man. Uh, the local paper had done an article on it. Like, I, it was insane. My parents were super excited to support me in wherever I wanted to go. And I had the test scores and grades to get into many places. And um, mm -hmm. I, after all of that, um, had the foresight somehow at 17 that I didn't want to have... A, a normal American college experience, which is lots of drinking and partying and mindlessness, um, nor did I want to be in the United States, that there was a whole world out there for me to explore. And so um, the untraditional nature, <laughs> the unconventional nature of the experience of my human lifetime continued. And uh, I created this dream of a program to study abroad all four years and I submitted it to the Dean of the Honors College at the Ohio State University which was 17 minutes away from where I grew up I never thought I'd go there in a million years um, yeah. and he accepted it and in the end I spent less than eight months in total on campus and was abroad 10 months of the year um, traveling in several countries studying in all different kinds of programs and universities um, learning tons of languages, and uh, I just ended up... Just the way up, you envisioned it, no? Just the way yeah. you... Yeah. De I mean, definitely even better yeah. and more than I envisioned it. It was like I every little step I took, I could do so much more. And I mean, I guess like people talk about manifestation now and things like that. So I guess I was I was definitely reading on that vein, but it was it was just freedom. It was the, for the first time in my life, you know, after you leave your parents' house, having that freedom to do what you want. And so it was this, it was just this clarity of, I was doing what I wanted. And I ended up uh, graduating after only three years. And so I took the fourth year to do all of my professional holistic formalization certifications. Um, and from there is when I was just kind of vacuum suctioned into this world of, of health and yoga amazing uh, but yeah like you said people nowadays call it manifestation i mean i as a coach work with people to actually you know manifest things by visualization by the power of the written word by prayer meditation and um you know but the thing is that if you really just let things flow it happens quite naturally like this is a complete like an example of where you were just i don't know Kind of aligned already from the start and you you just made a choice and it was a simple choice of like i don't want the normal kind of college life i that i don't want that for myself and then the universe aligns you know so i think that is that is an absolutely beautiful example of that yeah i definitely have to um i'll get emotional here <laughs> provide <laughs> lots of gratitude to my parents um, even way back when uh, my 13th birthday party was themed Andy's World of Dreams. Uh, it, it was this idea of um, that I can have anything that I want. And it was like that, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, that quality of just unbridled freedom and unconditional support from, from my family. And so, like... I'm obviously so grateful for that and for anyone who doesn't have that, like even just imagining what that could be like and acting as if you had it, um, not allowing others' judgments or perceptions or fear of what they might say to hold you down because even when like this is it's a quintessential example that my family and I still joke about today um there was a girl who I grew up with who I was quite close friends with and her father was actually a professor 
at the at the university and um when I said my whole four-year degree program, uh, he kind of laughed and was like, uh-huh, okay, yeah, sure, like, you're gonna do that. Like, he said that to me. And um, that seed of doubt, you know, is what fuels the fire. <laughs> and so I always remember, like, you know, looking back and being like, yep, I'm doing it, you know? That quality of, of just, like, full-on presence with oneself is is what allows for the confidence and then in yoga we have obviously the the karmic outlook and thus the parallel systems of karma and dharma and karma is it comes from the sanskrit root word kor uh, which means to do or action so it's action that creates other action it's like in physics every action has an equal and opposite reaction and so that that is the law of karma and so um, like in, in neo psychology or in neo just human interactions, we use it in that, like, it'll hit you in the face. If you do something bad, it will come, karma will bite you in the ass, I think people say. And the other side of that, though, the law that is just as powerful is dharma or right action. It's the action that you do that is aligned with soul purpose that does not create future action, it absolves you of anything coming back to hit you. It is simply you not doing something, but something being done through you. And so I can definitely acknowledge that uh, that that was my undergraduate career, was that something was done through me. I can't say that for my master's or my doctorate, but <laughs> definitely for my undergrad. <laughs> yeah, and I think that um, going back to your parents one more time, because I am, you know, there might be parents right now listening to this also and i think it can be so inspirational that if you plant that seed of belief of you know making a 13 year old birthday party going you know you can make it your dream world and create your dreams that changes so much if you tell your child from the start you can't do it that's unrealistic you have to make money and uh get a safe job otherwise you know that will also you know happen not every time but the chances are a lot bigger you know so i think that's also very inspirational for parents you know to be like because actually yeah if you look at the law of quantum physics everything is possible yeah we can literally make uh, uh materia what do you say it in english material uh, we can make materialize yeah we can materialize matter. anything through energy <laughs> you know yeah matter exactly Exactly, materia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, and that is, I, that, that was very, yeah, inspiration to me. And I can relate to that very much because my mom also took me, for example, when I was 13 and I had um, like study problems, like dyslexic vibes. She took me to a meditation seminar for four days. Wow. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was able to study. I That's so beautiful. <laughs> because yeah. it was a different way of approaching it, you know? It wasn't this, like, you know, everybody has to be able to, like, learn in the same way because that's not possible. We are all different. And yeah. and that's why, yeah, I can very much relate to that, how that solid foundation comes from also a home. But what do you think of this whole concept of that also you chose as a soul those parents yeah for sure I mean this is like pivotal re reincarnation talk which is yeah. right up my yeah. alley um, yeah. I yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean mm -hmm. everyone we meet in this lifetime because I'm also an astrologer right so through through karmic astrology and through actually being able to see for me to be able to web out the connections between people. Like I can tell you that my father was a blood brother of mine in my past life. His Mars is directly conjunct my moon. And so it's not only like that intuitive feeling and like a psychic might tell you something, but I have what I would consider scientific um, evidence. I mean, the position of the stars and the planets is a scientific process. That is what astronomy is. It's the study of that movement. And astrology is simply the translation of that movement into our everyday life. And so um, I say that because we, we're, we're incarnated in this lifetime with other beings or souls or spirits, whatever you want to say, whatever kind of language feels resonant to you. 
that we've been with in other lifetimes and it's simply like oh let's let's ride this ride again I'll choose the front seat this time you choose the back seat and that that quality of of being and um yeah and the only way out is in like they're here to further our own self-discover and our own exploration they are mirrors for us to do our work and especially when we talk about family and parents these are knots that we came into this lifetime to untie and a lot of people you know they'll they'll figure out that there's a knot they'll say oh i don't want to be anywhere near that knot and they'll run away without actually doing the work of untying and enveloping and so um, as for parents in general, I strongly believe in constantly showing up again and again and again the best we can and, um, and doing the work, the work of yeah. gratitude and love and presence and uh, self-development and self-inquiry. And I think it also puts you into a space of responsibility because if you take responsibility for yeah, being born into this life with those parents, then mm. you take responsibility for everything. Yeah. Also for things that, you know, aren't working out. I think that was also a big shift for me after Bali. I started taking responsibility for not being happy, for, be, for being bleak. I was like, okay, Nicole, you stop blaming your parents, the weather, society, uh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the, your job, your best friend friend that you know treated you badly in second grade or you know we we have these stories that we create in our head because we don't want to take responsibility we rather want to give it up and i think that's why even with parents if we you know if we take responsibility then it's a beautiful thing because I, a lot shifted for me i mean my ego was a bit like bleak about it it's okay though you know <laughs> then my ego will anyway you know it's fine but it was the best thing I ever did. And part of that was also taking responsibility for which family I was born into. Yeah. Yeah. So, and seeking but, deeper meaning in it as well. I mean, that what, what you refer to as empowerment, this is, um, this is really the seat of truth that we step onto on any kind of spiritual path or even fasting, conscious fasting at least. It's, it, it is taking back our power that we've given away and, and realizing that we are the creator of our reality and that the stories we tell we are holding the pen and we are authoring our life and that the stories we tell will drive it and um you know it's like if, if someone was born in so it, astrologically if someone has moon in leo it means that in a past life it means in my system of astrology that i practice um in a past life they were a king right and so often someone with moon in leo in this lifetime can be born a beggar because they've specifically chosen to have a different experience than that which their soul already knew. And so, like, beyond the materialistic commercial way of the world um, and seeing, like, wealthy people as super happy and poor people as super miserable, it's like, no, like, I've, I've been, been around the world. I can tell you that, of course, poor, some poor people are some of the happiest people I've ever met, and many, if not most, wealthy people are some of the most miserable people I've ever met. And so it's like, what do we actually want in life? And, uh, un again, unbridling ourselves to be able to, to feel and experience and um, invite everything and every kind of experience and it's really consciousness it's the, it's the momentary awareness of being there and being mindful of the experience we're having rather than being victim to it that allows us to enrich and, and grow and transform and maybe go to a different level if we don't want to be in poverty anymore or whatever it might if we don't want to be wealthy and miserable anymore yeah yeah no absolutely do you have a, um, if somebody's listening right now and is very new to mindfulness mm. and also to the, to the topic of consciousness, do you have like a tool that you use to really, yeah, to really realign with your source or to really get back into here and now? Yeah, so I mean, there's a whole array of yogic techniques that one could use to uh, realign. We'll do, we'll do a short little third eye meditation and then I might do a little chi exploration. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. wonderful. Mm -hmm. So if everyone closes their eyes uh, and make sure that you're comfortable in your body, 
somewhat upright with the spine. Don't try too hard. Notice if you have a tendency to try too hard. Uh, notice if you have a tendency not to care. And let go of all those tendencies and just be with yourself right now. No one else exists. Nothing else exists. Make sure that there's space between your back teeth. Notice if there's a tendency to clench the jaw or harbor stress. And as you relax the jaw, space between the back teeth, relax the tongue as well. And then let the knees soften down wherever you are. Release the front of the hip crease. Allow the belly to expand with each inhale. Check that there's space between the back teeth. Shoulders drop, the elbows are heavy. Beginning to feel and being mindful of the lungs themselves expanding with each inhale. And create a slight smile behind the eyes, relaxing the muscles behind the eyes. Slowly begin to focus, eyes rolled slightly inward and upward to the space between the eyebrows. Notice any thoughts that are racing across the head, the mind, the brain. Bring the eyeballs gently, slowly rolled inward and upward to focus between the eyebrows. There's nothing to do and nowhere to go. And check that the body is relaxed, knees, front of hips relaxed. Belly full, relaxed. Elbows heavy, shoulders relaxed. The rib cage moving out with each inhalation and the lungs expand. Space between the back teeth, jaw relaxed. Eyeballs rolled inward and upward to focus upon the space between the eyebrows. Begin to sense the sensitivity between the skin of the forehead and the skull. Notice any sensation across the forehead. Not trying too hard or worrying. Smile behind the eyes. if the mind has quieted or if thoughts still pass through and when thoughts still pass through how do you perceive them what is your attitude towards them can you realize and remember Everything is okay. Feel the lungs fill with your next breath. And spend as much time here as you'd like. Gently, slowly, as you're ready, allow your eyes to softly open, soft gaze at the floor in front of you. And carry that seed of awareness back into your waking, existing, externally oriented persona, wherever you are or whatever you're doing.
Thank you. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was beautiful. Mm. <laughs> so that, I mean, must have been two to three minutes. And um, it's something that you can guide yourself through always. It's, we did like two times body scan uh, and embodied mindfulness and awareness yeah. is one of the most powerful ways uh, to return and then yeah. focus on the space between the eyebrows and um, it's just intention it's like for the next two to three minutes rather than being a passive reactor to life I'm going mm -hmm. to be a mindful actor in life yeah yeah, yeah. And yeah. so if you're on a train or if uh, you're at a traffic light or if you're at your desk or if you're holding your baby or whatever it is that you're doing, just infusing your day with that once, twice, three times, that's what heightens consciousness because all of a sudden you snap out of being a rat in the treadmill, the round of the rat race and reacting and acting in life in, in mindless ways and you start to show up from this place of deeper presence, the meditative state yeah. of like, okay, what's actually going on here? What's actually being said? You start to read between the lines of life um, and that's when everything gets really rich and it, that's what consciousness is. It's awareness. It's heightened awareness and it all stems from I mean, you could call it a meditation practice, but um, I don't believe in that because you can get deep in that two minutes and it's just about what you carry out of the meditation practice into every minute of your waking life. That's what counts. Yeah, a lot more that's so true um, because otherwise we just sit every morning for 10 minutes, meditate, and then for the rest of the day, we just react to everything that's happening outside of us. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that. That is uh, very, very valuable. Oh, I feel good now, for sure. Okay. Uh, and it's it's so easy, like you say, it's so easy to just, yeah, to, to actually just connect. And also then to realize that we're not our thoughts, because that was also something that um, was very valuable for me to learn, also something that I learned in Bali. That I was able to just not <laughs> identify with those those stressful, uh, really sometimes horrible thoughts that drive drove me either into depression or into anxiety. So, yeah, mindfulness is definitely, and I'm, I think it's it's so beautiful because it's definitely spreading a lot more in the world. You know, I mean. I, the other day, I think on Forbes magazine or something, I just saw like gratitude, you know? So it's becoming, I mean, it's it's like commercialized, but I mean, gosh, better to have gratitude commercialized mm. than nothing at all, you know? Totally, so. totally. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's just like with modern yoga asana, it's the gateway drug. I always say it's this entry yeah. point um, yeah. into deeper connection and understanding. And yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So Andy, coming back to the fasting, um, so you said you experimented with it when you were younger. How's it now? How long do you fast? What was the longest you ever fasted? Okay, wait, before I go there, I remembered what I wanted to say um, yeah. about mindfulness because uh, yeah. I want to just give some science and the scientific underpinning of what's happening physiologically in the body. Um, Yes. When yes. so our autonomic nervous system is split in humans uh, and animals to into two main settings, which are kind of on and off. It's the sympathetic nervous system setting, which is the flight or fight. It's the stress response. We're very familiar with this, and then the parasympathetic nervous system setting, which is the relaxation response, also known as rest and digest. It is the healing response, and um, I always teach it. It's like it's a bit like a light switch. Uh, where either one is on or the other's off or the other's on and the other's off. And so what we did through that short mindfulness-based meditation, if you want to call it that, just t three minutes of awareness, was turn on the parasympathetic nervous system. And uh, that became kind of really the focus of, of most of my career, whether it was in health or yoga. Um, 
because it is when the parasympathetic nervous system only is on that we can heal, that we can digest, that we can be present, that we can have positive thoughts, and that we can be mindful. Because what actually happens when the sympathetic nervous system is on, the stress response, which is of course what most people all over the world are walking around with active almost all day every day, uh, is that we do not have the capacity to be mindful. Our brain is wired in that way where we have to actually immediately fight or run away, flight or freeze. Right? We don't have the capacity to take a breath and be mindful because we are at odds. Our life is in danger, right? We don't know the difference between the siren outside going down the street and our body's reaction to it or that crazy phone call where the stomach drops to the pit of the abdomen and we <gasps> say that, right? That stress that we experience or the, the heels of the shoes of your boss walking down the hallway, all these things that make our shoulders come up towards our ears and we hug our like clench the entire body in uh, in a response that stress that we feel viscerally every day does not allow for mindfulness and so whatever we can do to learn to walk the bridge from the stress response to the relaxation response that is our responsibility if you will it's our ability to respond to life in that calm way that allows for mindfulness that puts our nervous system in a place where we can be mindful and grateful and happy because if we're stressed all the time, if we don't, if, and most people today have an underlying level of anxiety, right? And, and I notice when it comes for me, and I hope it, you notice when it comes for you because we're all modern humans still. And so settling into that place where we can remember that everything's okay. And that was my mantra. I'm sure I shared it with you during the retreat for many years was no matter what it is, it's okay. No matter what it is, it's okay. And if we can become our own console and our own reassurance agent and um, our own parent in a way and like treat ourselves with that much love, then our entire experience shifts because we're able to be present when we're calm. Does that make sense? Energy. Oh no! Oh, there you are. Okay. Okay, we, we were just fine. Okay. They also get into that. Go. They're like, you know, food, completely normal. You know what I mean? They run away from their prey, you know, the, they run away from a tiger, and then they outrun the dreams obviously they need to break breaking the fast in the middle of the night you know i had like dreams that i was eating a burger or something and i was like <gasps> and then the next day i went to you and i said angie mccord and like woke up you know drenched in sweat because i had dreamed that you know i had a, a forget that he was like well then it's your responsibility to calm yourself down and really assure yourself that you didn't break the fast and that you didn't eat the burger it was as simple as that i'm like Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then the next time I got it, I just put my hand on my on my heart, and I was just like, "I'm okay. You're okay. All good. We're here." It's, and and that helped so much. It was. Yeah. It's a. It's funny because it's a little bit like the echo of the extension of our individualistic society, where we are so alone and on our own in in very developed modern largely western culture and yet we are social creatures and so we need that consoling and yet we've not put ourselves in a situation where we can get it and so the only answer in my eyes is this radical self-empowerment where we become right our 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 community and that doesn't mean that we don't have community or we don't have partners um and definitely not relying on them too much it's it's so much more powerful for them if we take care of ourselves and 
it's it's like as as simple as you said you had that dream you freaked out you came into me and I said okay well you just need to console yourself and then the next time it happened you were like oh okay like it was it was like that wasn't an option before we you were never taught to hold yourself in that preciousness and so it just needs to be that that connection you know holding yourself and actually I do that sometimes I hug myself sometimes also you yeah. know I just, I, and also saying I, I love you to myself mm-hmm. it, it is and anything it's more powerful okay it's okay it's so powerful so yeah that's definitely something that can integrate in schools <laughs> that would mm-hmm. be really yeah, and it's it's always interesting because it's like it... so. Um... <laughs> Our connection's going out a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fast because I mean I told people about my fast being seven days uh, juice fasting, so it wasn't even a water fast, and people got that. You know how a society they have like a vision they go that's crazy that's not healthy you can't deprive your body uh, of like food for such a long time and then I was I thought about you and also the way you you look like vitality and also other people that I've met that are into fasting and, and they're very healthy humans mind and body and that's why I would like to know how what was the longest you did fast actually yeah um, I'll also make a small commentary on what you just shared about uh, people's fear because that's what it very much is and um, I think probably one of the most important lectures that I give is the lecture about how do you know what you think you know uh, especially in the modern world of in- increased specialization people become super narrow-minded specialists on their one area of quote-unquote expertise even though it's not a holistic view at whatever it is that they're looking at and uh, yet then they claim that they have knowledge which is essentially dogmatic pop health knowledge that they've either um, learned through modern society or Dr. Oz or online Um, and it's none of it normally is embodied it is not wisdom it is this pop health knowledge which is um, a bit cheap if, if I may, um, it doesn't have depth to it. And then people take that pop health knowledge and anything that's different than what is the normal. And mind you, um, from the moment that both our health and uh, our food was made a commodity, as it is with the modern healthcare system, the hospital system, the pharmaceutical industry, and uh, definitely the commercial food industry, the agricultural industry of today, it was not in anyone's interest for us to be healthy. Yeah, because lots of money is made from pharmaceuticals, from insurance companies, from hospitals. Tremendous money is made from uh, cheap, large-scale agriculture. You know, and so thus, what we can take from that is that our modern knowledge about health is largely influenced by industry. And so if we can step back and do the investigatory work of how do I know what I think I know and just ask ourselves those questions, then some of these foundational stories that we tell ourselves uh, that are very fear-based, like, oh, how will you survive for seven days? Where do you get your protein? That's not healthy, right? All of that is fueled from fear, even if it's said and sweet, like I'm, I'm exaggerating it, right? Dramatizing it. But even, even if it's said sweetly, like, oh, sweetie, is that actually healthy for you? It's still coming from that seed of fear. And so we have to see which, which seeds we're planting in our lives. Are they of you know, that when I was 13, Andy's world of dreams, of, of unconditional love and presence and hope, or are they seeds of fear? And that doesn't mean that we can't have healthy skepticism or critical inquiry. I'm a huge one for both of those. And yet it's about an embodied experience. And so, as you know, I always say, don't believe me, verify me, right? Take these parameters for experimentation and do them on your own body. And that is one of the greatest quests that I'm here to 
uh, live out as a human. And so now I'll get into answering your question, which is about uh, my fasting experience. And for many years, I, I, as a natural hygienist, water fasting was fasting. And um, Mm -hmm. though in the modern world, it's very difficult to water fast anymore. I don't recommend that people water fast in cities or water fast in places with EMF radiation and Wi-Fi networks and all of these things because the system becomes so sensitive that if there is that underlying level of stress and anxiety, which there is usually just naturally by being in a city, uh, that your body cannot fully heal. And so rather than going into a fasting healing mode, it goes into a starvation mode. And so I don't actually recommend water fasting often. Um, And of course, that meant that I then didn't practice it for many years, especially while living in Bali, where people think from abroad that it's this paradise, uh, whereas in reality, it is. Uh, it was hit very hard by the Green Revolution of the late 60s and the early 70s, and the water table in Bali, since it's nearly an entire island of rice fields, was sprayed with heavy toxic chemicals, and still is, right, for 40 years now. And so... Um, you know it's not a place to water fast and because of the tourist concentration of people um, there's an incredible amount of uh, Wi-Fi networks and everything like that and so that led me into juice fasting which at that time was becoming a little modern and um, like a neo trend and a fad and I embraced Bali, um, actually, because of the 60s and 70s, uh, actually thought that you wouldn't recommend water fasting in Bali because, um, and that's where you were cut off. Yeah, yeah. Um, am I back in Bali with that internet? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so uh, what I was saying was that I then came to uh, juice fasting and then rather after that, juice feasting, which was, a, it's a whole huge neo concept because um, again, my teachers, the natural hygienists a hundred years ago, didn't have anything like this. They didn't have juice extraction machines beyond grape presses or orange presses um, or really anything like that. Like the fact that we can juice green vegetables and separate the fiber from the plant blood uh, is, is it would be a miracle to them. And so the fact that we can have green juices uh, is tremendous. And that that chlorophyll, of course, is what cleanses the bloodstream and um, stirs detoxification. And so what ended up happening was because I was working such, such, such a high-powered job, working all day, every day, essentially giving so much of myself away, my fasting practice, which was uh, the bedrock or is the bedrock of my experience in this human life, um, is one that became much more dominated by juice feasting and exploration there. And so um, I did my first 30-day juice fast, juice feast, whatever you want to call it, um, mm-hmm. at the beginning of 2016, I think. And then mm-hmm. throughout the year of 2016 and 2017, I started experimenting with more longer-term juice fasts uh, or juice feasts, which the difference is juice fast is you're drinking somewhere up to maybe a liter uh, or maybe even up to a liter and a half of juice per day, primarily green juice. And a juice Mm -hmm. feast is when uh, you get onto it by fasting and mostly green juices. And then once you're in it after a little while, um, you start to have more juice anywhere from two to three to even up to five liters of juice a day and at that point you're allowing the digestive system to maintain in that off state switched off but you are still um giving a tremendous amount of calories and so this was the the big make or break difference so what i started to experience were so many of the benefits of fasting uh return to the self calm presence Um, the digestive system shutting off so more energy going to healing and cleansing which then showed itself through clearer skin lack of inflammation in the body um, etc etc I had all of these benefits of 
fasting, except I didn't have the drawbacks, which the symptoms for me have always been very strong of lightheadedness or generalized lethargy or fatigue. Um, and the symptoms come and go and these spurts of energy come and go and the longer one is into a water fast, like when you get to day 17 of a water fast, it's like you're the energizer bunny, but it takes a lot to get there and one has to be off grid for that extended period of time uh, to do it safely and responsibly and also obviously under the care of a practitioner. Um, and so juice fasting and juice feasting became so much more of uh, an easier thing to approach. And so the longest I went was somewhere in the vein of 50 days. Um, and I wanted to kind of stretch that because I'm no, by no means like someone who's overweight and needs to make a massive lifestyle change could easily go for up to three months if they want to be you know, reversing ulcerative colitis and losing 200 pounds and things like that, like really taking their life back into their own hands. Um, but I obviously was someone who was coming into it at maximum health, so there was no need to go so far. And so in, in these days, um, I won't often push a juice feast past 21 days. I don't find um, too much benefit beyond that. I feel like I've done my deep experimentation with it. Um, sure. and for my specific body, it's just unnecessary. And then, um, I was just off grid in the Swiss mountains, um, in the Alps and was in that perfect place that I always describe to people to have spring water right outside, literally right outside my door, uh, Swiss spring water. And, wow. you know, no one around the ability to be just in my own space, no Wi-Fi network. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was like, oh, wait, wait, I've stumbled upon this, <laughs> this opportunity. Voila, of course, I must water fast. And so it was my first time doing an extended water fast in quite a few years. And, um, you know, it just, it's a completely different practice because in water fasting, it's recommended that one's in bed all day, every day, that you're taking the rest that's needed. And, um, yeah, it's, it's higher highs and lower lows and it's much quicker healing. Like one day of water fasting is roughly equivalent to three days of juice fasting. And so um, with all of that said and more, uh, there is a big difference and my experience has been all over when I facilitate groups of people. Uh, my more experienced, um, I don't want to say students, but the people who fast with me, who have done so numerous times, they might start to experiment with water fasting, but I do encourage juice fasting or if someone's working and crazy and busy, juice feasting. Uh, and so I'm, I'm a big proponent of safe fasting, uh, responsible fasting, if you will. Somebody that's completely new to fasting, yeah. um, would you recommend they start with a retreat? They all, because you just said to actually do it with a practitioner. So with you, for example, is that something? Um, so even with, is is that is there a reason why it is so important to do it in in a guided way? Also, how I did it. So there's so um, there's a lot there's a lot here. I mean, first and foremost. Um, when I said they must do it with a practitioner, that was for water fasting. Longer term water fasting must be done under supervised care. Um, that's yeah. just that's just common knowledge. It's like if you don't know how to fly the trapeze, you're not going to go and find a trapeze and fly it. It's like you know you're going to go to a teacher, right? And yeah, fasting is no different. Even though all good teachers will lead you back to your teacher inside, and you'll come to my retreat, and on day six and seven, I'll tell you that you have all the answers within. You don't need me, you know. Um, yeah. I don't actually lead uh, in-person retreats anymore, Nicole. There might be like one a year that's a very large retreat, but I don't lead in-person retreats anymore. I'm only doing them online. Um, and Which is amazing because that's accessible every day. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's only once a month as of now, so it's not quite okay. every day. But uh, yeah, people can start today by, you know, just taking the leap and... Uh, putting their name on the list and saying, you know what, this I'm just going to do it. I'm, I'm not going to think, I'm just going to go because the more that we think about it, the more we prevent ourselves from coming into the world of our dreams. Uh, but in general, I do, yes, recommend that there be a learning curve where you have someone guiding you, whether that is a book, and this is why I'm coming out with Fast, with the Modern mm -hmm. Fasting Bible, with my first book, or whether mm -hmm. it is um, 
you know, some other friend, hopefully a well-educated, well-experienced one. But we learn through each other's experience, especially when going into very non-dogmatic ground. Um, And so you can definitely expedite the process by coming to me and I'll, I'll like, I'll give you years of experience, my own and with thousands of clients. Um, or you can just start small and I have multiple do it yourself fasting podcasts on my podcast on live for vitality online that people can access. And, um, it's like, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just what you feel you need and the deeper you want to go and the more seriously you want to take this of course you'll 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 have guidance it's like you know I'm teaching myself Russian right now and I haven't gotten a teacher yet but I know that if I want to up level I'm gonna have to get a teacher so it's it's that's it's that same quality of uh enrolling oneself in a course that's going to empower them and um and yeah. that's, ama- that's amazing and I'll definitely put all of that also into the show notes you okay. know also obviously your website and uh, because I will definitely say something in the intro about your astrology readings because they are also yes uh, you know you know I'm I, I, that I, I, I can't even you know I don't even know what to say <laughs> because that is just uh, something oh, it, something that's changed my life all of my friends' lives and everybody, yeah. <laughs> You're the best at sharing it with community. <laughs> yeah, Everyone's birthday, they get a reading. It is so valuable. It is so, so valuable. Yeah. But yeah, I'll put all of that into the show notes. Yeah. Um, and I would like to ask you if you have like a morning routine, if it's something or morning rituals that you do that really gets you kind of set on your days. Yeah, unless absolutely necessary, I never talk for the first 30 minutes of the day. Um, With my moon in Scorpio, silence is a huge part of tapping into that deeply honest, vulnerable space. And so Mm -hmm. I reintegrate from the the sleeping state to the waking state through silence. And um, then, of course, uh, the first thing I do every single day, uh, whenever whenever it is that I pick up my phone, is I, I, I have an Osho tarot deck on, on my phone. And so yeah. I pick a card and that card uh, serves to be nothing esoteric other than a point for intention setting uh, of just awareness. So today I picked rebirth. And so that allows me to reflect upon my life, uh, where I am today, what I want, why this day is different than any other day. And then throughout the day, I'll think back to it before I go to bed. I'll say, okay, what, like, what, what was the card that I picked this morning? And uh, it just, it's just like in that meditation we did, coming back to the third eye. It's the same exact practice. It's, it's maintaining mindfulness. And so it's not this esoteric, soothsaying, future-telling, uh, woo-woo kind of thing. It's like a practical intention-setting tool. And then um, also I'll go ahead and open my astrological transit program and I'll look at actually on that day which transits I'm undergoing so that I know what influences uh, I'm partial to on that day. If there's a certain hour of the day where there's a big, I don't know, Mars, Uranus, Saturn conjunction of something and that I'm going to be irritable, you know? And that's, that's like, this could be a whole nother podcast about astrology, but it's my way of not taking, taking things personally. And it's my way of maintaining mindfulness and not allowing the ego to drive my life uh, of saying, okay, why am I feeling this way right now? Um, and, and again, accessing deeper meaning. And so I'll look at my astrological transits. Um, and then of course, drinking a liter to a liter and a half of water before anything. And, uh, in general, every time my feet hit the ground, when I come out of bed, it's, it's accompanied by a thank you. And that's been a good 10 years now that I've been doing that practice. And um, then there are things through the years and through the months that come and go, um, depending upon where I am and what I'm doing and where I'm living. Okay. Wow. Beautiful. I love, I love it also how you just don't speak for the first half an hour. I think that's also so important and not grabbing off phone and going onto all those toxic social media channels and uh but to really actually just and also reflecting asking you know these questions of you know how am i and why am i here or you know yeah meditation and grounding yeah that's amazing yeah and Andy, tell me um 
so imagine you could put any book, okay, not your own. Imagine your book is out already and it's already in all of the schools. But imagine you could also take one other book um, that you can put into any school that, or to all of the school's curriculums. What book would that be? <laughs> are, are you talking about kids' schools or universities or what? Uh, but, um, like kids and like from like so um, primary school and high school from from the age where people can read. Let's say like that. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, this yeah. the wife of remember the professor who doubted me. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. She, funny enough, um, for my high school graduation, bought me the book, Oh, The Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. And I think that would have to be my answer. Yeah. Um, oh. okay. yeah of, here, let's see. I'm finding it right now. Maybe I can read some of it to you. Because okay. any heady text often yeah. remains in the head. And whereas it can instigate deeper thought, um, mm -hmm you know, it might not. <laughs> and so, whereas like books have been helpful and there are many that I could, um, I could name off like prose and um, really the written word and, and the, the sing song of poetry that, that speaks to a deeper part of our soul, I think is so powerful. And obviously Dr. Seuss is so powerful and it's a way of communicating simply complex, complex topics. So let me read the first few pages, yeah? Yes, yes, please. Okay, ready. Congratulations! Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, and you can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know, and you are the guy who will decide where to go. <laughs> wait, illustration page. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, wait. Oh, that's all they showed me, I guess. I don't get more on the preview. Um, oh, but <laughs> that makes me want to read it. Cliffhanger. Yeah. I love it. And it's also actually, that makes you present straight away, just feeling your feet in your shoes. Mm. You know, that's basically what just happened to me. I was just feeling my feet in my shoes because... Uh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's that, that kind of... Um, presence is really what it's yeah. what it's demanding and what it's commanding yeah. and um yeah, yeah. Totally. so that's beautiful. probably what i would put in all schools and hopefully it's already there beautiful <laughs> yeah maybe in some maybe in some andy what do you think is your greatest quality my greatest quality mm. you know someone asked me that not too long ago and i gave an answer and he was like that's not right <laughs> so <laughs> so i think that um in one respect, we have an inability to answer this question because, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's like everyone gets a greatest part of, of us through their experience. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I would want to say something like my eternal optimism and um, mm -hmm. really dedication mm -hmm. to making things work for everyone. But, you I know, what you just said with uh, how everybody perceives us through their experience. <laughs> yeah, good. So that can be my answer. Leave it to me to give you a non-answer answer. That, that, yeah, because that actually I was like, that is that is a very good answer, actually. <laughs> and obviously you, your, your, your strive to, to optimism. And stuff, but that is actually, wow, I, I really like that. Because, yes, of course, we don't see the things the way they are. We see them the way we are. Yes, so, and you know. know, that's the quote that you wrote on... <laughs> I'll just tell you this. That's what you wrote on your feedback form in Bali two years ago. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I used that in marketing. Did I, uh, did I really? Yeah, oh, you did. Wow. You did. Oh, that's, that's yeah, it comes from a nice mean. She was a writer in, um, in the 20s and very much in polyamory and things like that so yeah um, amazing okay well it was your your embodiment of it in bali it was the experience yeah. of taking okay, that wow. from your head to your experience that allowed you to share it as wisdom yeah yeah wow i did i didn't remember that but yeah that is something that's definitely uh, a sentence that's definitely always in my mind also when i want to take things personally and then i decide rather not to take things personally because i just see it from my perspective and yeah. And that the, and the way that I use it in um, communicating the fasting retreats is that 
if the body inside is a mess just in terms of toxicity or in terms of the residual outcome of whatever however we've treated it throughout our lives then our life outside of us no matter how many balls we can pretend to juggle will also be a mess and so if we want to clean up our outside we clean up our inside and so that quote that you shared is you know it's just it's it's so clear <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely oh andy <laughs> Yeah, I've, I, I, I have so much love for you. I'm so, so grateful that you took the time today to speak to me and to share your, your wisdom. And I'm a little bit emotional. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to be emotional, my love. Go grab some pen and paper and write it out. <laughs> ah, I will. Thank you. Thank you, really, from the deepest of my heart. Thank you. Thank you for what you did for me two years ago. Oh. And uh, thank you for today and thank you for all the readings in between and thank you for yeah, for for put for shining that light so brightly. I can feel you. You're like in San Francisco and I can like feel you. <laughs> and and I, I'll be like, you know, I'll be charged, you know, I'll be like shining all weekend. I'll mm. be like <laughs> Go shine <laughs> on. <laughs> Yes, so, love. Thank you for doing the work and thank you for sharing with people and thank you for, for more than anything for living your life with authenticity and presence and integrity. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media. Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now.